The Daily 202's Big Idea is sponsored by Delta Airlines, the commercial airline the U.S. military trusts to perform maintenance on its aircraft. Learn more at deltatakingaction.com. Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Wednesday, October 31st. In today's news, Paul Ryan slams President Trump for trying to end birthright citizenship. Trump's visit to Pittsburgh is met with protests. And Republicans are still using Brett Kavanaugh's confirmation process as a rallying cry. But there's fresh signs the issue is losing its potency. First, though, the big idea. It's another October surprise. The Interior Department's Inspector General has referred one of its probes into the conduct of Secretary Ryan Zinke to the Justice Department for further investigation. Deputy IG Mary Kendall is conducting at least three separate investigations that involve Zinke. While an agency's Inspector General regularly issues reports on what it finds, it only refers cases to the Justice Department when it has determined that there could be criminal violations. A senior White House official tells my colleague Josh Dossie that the White House understands that the investigation is looking into whether Secretary Zinke, quote, used his office to help himself. This helps explain why Zinke has been pushing in recent weeks to hire a loyal political nominee who could be hired to replace Kendall, a career public servant who served in an acting capacity since 2009. One of the allegations under investigation regards the secretary's role in a Montana land development deal backed by David Lesser, the chairman of the oil services giant Halliburton. The business and retail park is slated to include several businesses and would be near multiple parcels of land owned by Zinke and his wife Lola. The deal also involves land owned by a foundation that Lola now heads, which the secretary used to run before joining the Trump administration. There are also reports that he's been involved in meetings about what the development would look like and reviewed blueprints. Separately, the Inspector General's office is examining Zinke's hands-on involvement in his department's refusal to sign off on a proposed casino deal in Connecticut involving two Indian tribes. Interior career staffers recommended approving the tribe's application to jointly run the casino, which would have competed with an MGM Resorts casino across the border in Massachusetts. But MGM lobbied heavily against the permit, and in the end, Zinke didn't grant it. Interior's Inspector General has subpoenaed documents from MGM to figure out why Zinke overruled the professional staff. It's not clear which of these two cases was referred to the Justice Department for potential criminal prosecution. Speaking of cascading investigations, Special Counsel Bob Mueller is probing whether Trump's longtime confidant Roger Stone may have colluded with WikiLeaks to time its release of Democratic emails. This past Friday, Mueller's team questioned Steve Bannon, the president's former chief strategist and the chairman of his 2016 campaign at the end, about claims that Stone is said to have made privately about WikiLeaks before the group released emails that prosecutors say were hacked by Russian operatives. Investigators have been questioning witnesses about events surrounding October 7th, 2016. That was the day the Washington Post published a recording of Trump bragging about his ability to grab women by their genitals and get away with it. Less than an hour after the Post published its story about Trump's crude comments during a taping of Access Hollywood, WikiLeaks delivered a competing blow to Hillary Clinton by releasing a trove of emails hacked from the account of her campaign chairman, John Podesta. 
Investigators have been scrutinizing phone and email records looking for evidence of what triggered WikiLeaks to drop the Podesta emails right after the Access Hollywood story broke. That's according to reporting from my colleagues Bob Costa, Carol Lenig, Roz Helderman, and Manuel Roy Franzia. As Mueller's team grills grand jury witnesses about their connections to him, Stone has hired more lawyers on his defense team, and he said yesterday to ABC News that he has taken polygraph tests to try and establish his innocence. The special counsel's office separately announced yesterday that it has asked the FBI to investigate claims that multiple women were offered tens of thousands of dollars in exchange for accusing Mueller of sexual misconduct that he did not commit. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one, constitutional experts and House Speaker Paul Ryan, who's retiring, pushed back strongly on Trump's proposed executive order to end birthright citizenship. Ryan dismissed the idea during a radio interview in Kentucky, saying it's inconsistent with the 14th Amendment to the Constitution, which says clearly that all persons born or naturalized in the United States are citizens of the United States. He and other Republicans said that altering the Constitution would be a lengthy process and that it would be up to Congress, not the president. The legal consensus among every serious scholar on the right and the left, including Kellyanne Conway's husband, is that it would take a constitutional amendment to end birthright citizenship. Ryan reminded Republicans that they didn't like it when Barack Obama changed immigration policy by executive fiat and that it shouldn't be any different when Trump tries to. Trump's haphazard proposal which he outlined during an interview with Axios, is not unusual. The president often tells aides to craft executive orders, even when he's told that his authority to do so is legally dubious. While the proposal has gotten vociferous support from Trump's top immigration advisor, Stephen Miller, many White House officials, including Press Secretary Sarah Sanders, were startled by it. Trump told Axios that the White House counsel's office had even signed off on the language for the executive order. That was news to them. Number two, Trump's visit to grief-stricken Pittsburgh was met with protests, and the family of one of the victims in the synagogue attack declined to meet with him. The trip was hastily planned and was executed with no advanced public itinerary and without local politicians. The city's mayor had publicly called on Trump not to come, and breaking with protocol, the White House did not invite the Democratic congressman who represents the district where the shooting occurred. As the president touched down in southwestern Pennsylvania, almost 2,000 demonstrators assembled not far from where some of the shooting's victims had been buried earlier in the day. Trump didn't speak publicly during the brief trip. Instead, he quietly paid tribute at Tree of Life Synagogue by laying flowers for the 11 victims and visiting a hospital to see officers who were wounded in Saturday's shooting. Number three. Republicans continued to use Justice Brett Kavanaugh's contentious confirmation process as a rallying cry to gin up the right. Trump has praised Kavanaugh at events for GOP candidates in every state that he's visited. Other Republicans, like Senator Lindsey Graham from South Carolina, are focusing on Kavanaugh almost exclusively as they travel the country stumping for Senate candidates. But some Republican operatives say that anger over Kavanaugh's confirmation process has begun to dissipate at the grassroots level, according to focus groups, polls, and other indications that they're monitoring closely. They fear that conservative turnout and excitement might be depressed. After last week's hate crime, as well as the mail bomb scare, Trump's approval rating has fallen a couple points, potentially jeopardizing a few key Senate races that his allies had thought were in the bag. There are certain races where the Me Too movement is also becoming especially potent in the closing days. For example, even though it's not one of the top Senate races in the country, the Me Too movement is dominating the Minnesota Senate contest between Democrat Tina Smith, 
who was appointed to replace Al Franken when he resigned, and her Republican challenger, Karen Housley. The fight isn't just a result of Franken stepping down, a decision that many Democrats in Minnesota still disagree with. It's also because the state attorney general's race has been upended by an abuse allegation leveled by an ex-girlfriend of Democratic nominee and Congressman Keith Ellison. And it's because Housley has criticized the treatment of Kavanaugh by Democrats. She's made it a central part of her campaign. She's attacking Democrats and has said publicly that she believes Kavanaugh over the women who came forward to accuse him, including Christine Blasey Ford. Yet ironically, at the very same time, she's running ads attacking Smith for not breaking with Keith Ellison. It's created a weird dynamic in my home state where both candidates are accusing the other of being women who don't sufficiently support other women. Neither candidate wants to be dragged down by the alleged misdeeds of men in their own party. Smith is still heavily favored to prevail. And that's The Daily 202 for Wednesday, October 31st. Thanks for listening. I'm James Hellman. I'll talk to you tomorrow, which is November 31st.